everybody. Week four, this is my town. This is my town. Well, we're in 2 Kings chapter 4, and the entire chapter is full of these different types of miracles that God is working through Elisha. And normally, I would just do the whole chapter, but for some reason, God's been telling me to break it up into these very specific miracles. And tonight, we're going to be continuing in the miracles in 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 8. It says this in verse 8, one day... Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. Isn't it kind of funny that the miracle starts out with a meal, and here we are at Thanksgiving week. I just love how God, that's how you know you're in God's timing, right? She urged him to come to her home for a meal, and after that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. He would stop there for something to eat. I want to start this entire thing out by pointing out something very, very simple. We're about to see a, an incredible miracle that's going to happen for this Shunammite woman. But look at how this whole relationship starts between this wealthy woman and the prophet Elisha. The woman simply wanted to do something for this man. She just, she did, Elisha didn't go to her and say, hey, I'm hungry, can you provide something? The woman's wealthy, and she simply saw a traveler and said that, I want to meet a need for this guy. She saw a traveler and wanted to show him some hospitality in her town. What in his town? It was a town that he went through often on his travels, but this was where she lived. This was her town. And when someone came through her town, she said, I want to make sure when they leave my town, they have felt like I've, we've treated them good, we've honored them, we received them. And the way she wanted to treat this traveler is obviously when he was traveling, he was probably hungry. So she just wanted to do something simple. Hey, let's invite this guy over and give him something to eat. And I believe that part of being a son or daughter of God is that we have to learn how to properly manage the places that are considered your town. And so often, we go to people with needs of ours instead of going to people meeting their needs. You have a town. You have a place you were called to influence. Your town could be your family. Your town could be your job. Your town is this house. Let me say that again. Your town is this house. Your town is your city. Your town. You've got a place that God has put you in, and you are called to steward that area. You're called to represent God in that area. We talked about last week a little bit how if you want to wrap up your call in the kingdom of God in a very simple way, it's this, that you are called to transform the culture into a heavenly culture. Everywhere you are, you're supposed to transform the culture for it to look like the kingdom of heaven, to look like the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And part of that is realizing that you have a town, you have an influence, you have a place, you have something that God has given to your stewardship and your management, and instead of complaining about the town, start making the town worth visiting. It's just, 
Y'all need to loosen up a little bit. And when someone enters an area that is under your covering, we have to ask, what do we start with? Because what this woman started with was, let me show some hospitality. Let me meet their needs. And I think sometimes in the church, when we hear about big-name preachers and big-name speakers and prophets and all this stuff, the first thing we think about is, let me get some of what they've got. Or even taking it out of church. When the big boss comes in, the first thing you think about is, how can I levy this for a raise? How can I get ahead? How can this visitor in my town meet my need? And this woman didn't start off by thinking, oh, it's Elisha, or oh, it's a, it's a great prophet. She just saw a man, and she just said, how can I meet a need? Let me give him a meal. I wonder who has come into your town, but you've neglected them because you didn't see them for what you could do for them. You saw them for what they could do for you. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a big need you're called to meet. It could be something simple. This woman saw hunger. She provided a meal. Maybe you see depression and you can simply offer them a compliment. Maybe they're in pain and you can just offer them time. Maybe you see loneliness, so you want to take them out for a coffee, or maybe it's something so simple that you have a miserable coworker, so the next morning you buy two cups of coffee instead of one. You've got a town, you've got an area. And I think we need to start shifting our mindsets not to how can they benefit me, but how can I benefit them? How can I serve them? How can I show them that God sees what they need and he's meeting it through this willing vessel? There's a popular passage that I I got a little bit of a revelation about through some of my study, and it's in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. It says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Now, the Greek word here used for hospitality is actually translated literally love for strangers. Notice the passage has two distinctions. It says keep on loving your brothers and sisters and don't forget the strangers. But these, this is where the revelation came in. These aren't just any strangers. Because when you read this passage at face value, everyone has the same idea. Oh, yeah, I'm going to take care of the person on the side of the road. I'm going to take care of the person with an obvious need. But that's actually not exactly limiting or limited to what this passage is talking about. You see, in this time of when this was written in Hebrews, to stay at an inn, you know, like the one that Mary tried to, to get at, They were famous for sexual morality. They weren't good places to go to. So what would happen is that people, Christians or believers, they would travel around, they would try to find open homes from other Christians. You know, other Christians representing their town well. You know, nowadays you ask people to open up their homes and it's like, I don't know them and they're going to do this. It's a whole ordeal. They just said, hey, we're going to open our homes up to Christians. Now, there was a problem with that because 
as Christians would go town to town looking for homes to stay in, other people would masquerade as Christians because they wanted to leech off of these people who were just opening up their homes for free. Why stay at an inn when you can stay at a Christian's home for free, right? So what would happen in this time is that the leaders, they would start to teach the people how to recognize true believers and deceivers. That's a whole message in itself. Do people not receive you because they see your fruit and your fruit is rotten? Trust me, some of you got some rotten, stanky fruit. Oh, no, no one in this room, a couple maybe, I don't know. I'm smelling it. But they would teach them how to look at a deceiver or see a Christian. What's the point of this? The point is, this isn't talking about just any stranger. This passage is talking about Christians who are not the brothers and sisters you know, but the strangers you don't. And this command, when it says, love the brothers and sisters and don't forget to show the hospitality to the strangers or the believers that you do not know, some of you bless the ones you know in the house Some of you bless the ones that you built a relationship with in the church. But when it comes to befriending someone or getting out of your box to do something for someone you don't know, you make excuses and you fail to meet the command of God to not just bless your brothers and sisters, but bless the ones that you do not know. I believe one of the biggest hang-ups that Christians are facing is we put more faith in our personality profiles than the commands of God. Can I dabble a little bit? I can't do that because I don't, I'm not a people person. If you're a new creation, trust me, you are a people person. But you make excuses of I'm not going to serve them because it stretches me. God wants to stretch you because he don't necessarily like the you he's seeing. He loves you. But he is in the process of transforming you. If he needs to transform you, stop making excuses as to why you can't be transformed. If he wants to transform you, there is something about you that is not in the likeness of his image. So he says, let me get it more in my image. And one way he says it is he says, don't just love the people you know. But show hospitality or literally love the people that are believers who you don't know. It isn't just talking about a man on the side of the road. There's been so many times in this house, I've asked people who have been here for five years, hey, do you know so-and-so, and you say no. Y'all, this ain't a 10,000-member church. There's an issue if you don't know people in this house. Yes, I am talking to each and every single one of you. Why? Because I'm not called to make you happy. I'm called to stretch you so you can walk into your rightful image. And I'm going to go somewhere with this. This is important. The verse goes on to say that sometimes these strangers you may never see again because you're actually entertaining angels. Okay, I'm not going to get into that tonight. But look at what happens. There is something about this man, Elisha, that the Shunammite woman recognized. 
He wasn't just a casual traveling deceiver. She knew there was something about him that was a man of God. So she said, how can I serve him? The scripture says, Elisha, every time he came through this town, he knew where to go. Some of your biggest needs are met through the relationships you build by only being obsessed with meeting their needs. Let me say that again. Some of your biggest needs are met through the relationships that you build by only being obsessed with meeting their needs. So let's talk about the scripture in Hebrews. It says, don't just love your brothers and sisters. Love the strangers. We are so inward focused about our comfortability that we think the only way our needs are met is through those who we know. But what God says, if you would serve the ones you don't know, there may be something locked up in them that can meet the need you got that your brothers and sisters cannot meet. But if, and if you'll start serving them, there is something about them that's going to recognize a need in you. Because they appreciate your service. But you never get your need met because you won't stretch yourself to meet someone else's needs that you don't know. Is this, y'all are silent. Okay. You don't just build relationships with the ones that you want, that, that you want to meet your needs. You start serving people. The more I grow in my calling as a pastor, the more I see that I don't need to seek out who can advance me. You know what I've realized? When I simply serve someone's needs, it starts to unlock doors to meet mine. I got tied to my covering, and it's not because... It was, let me find something that I can get out of them. It was, how can I serve you? And right now, and at the beginning, it was just piano player and a preacher. But after about two years of relationship building, this house got picked to help host Kingdom University. For me, that's a big deal because there are cities all over the nation that are hosting this. Savannah got picked, and this house was the one to host it. All because I offered, I'll play piano, because I saw a need that I could meet. I built relationships in my life. People always like, Kyle, you got so much favor. You got this handed to you. You got that handed to you. You got this. How? I met their needs. And then they started to ask questions. Well, what can I do for you? Because when I see a stranger, I don't say I don't know them. I start watching. What can I do for them? Is it a conversation? Is, do I have a gift that they can benefit from? Do I need to go help them rake a yard? What can I do to meet a need? And it starts to open up stuff. I never planned on being in ministry. 
My family was poor, so I wanted to be a doctor. All my family died of heart attack, so I wanted to be a cardiologist. Junior year of high school, I, I left my youth ministry because of situations. And I had just learned piano. I wasn't that good. And I saw a need at a random church in Springfield. I said, hey, can I start coming to your church and playing piano? And the guy said, yeah. Two years later, or three years later, that same guy offered me a job as a youth pastor. And I served under him for seven years. And it didn't start out with, let me find a pastor I can get under so I can become a pastor. It was, how can I meet a need that you got? And if I had never said, let me meet that need, I would, I believe, I would have never walked into the destiny of right now what I am. And so many people ask, how can I find my purpose? Let me tell you how. Start meeting needs with what you got. Because it's going to open doors for you. Is this okay? This Shunammite woman had this inkling about Elisha. And it got confirmed in verse 9. It says, it says in verse 9, she said to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. She said, I'm sure of it. I knew I felt something. And through serving his need of a meal when he came through my town, I see something in him and it's confirmed. And at this point, she didn't use that confirmation for her ask. She, 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 she was like, okay, this is a God, this is a man of God. I can tell it now. Elisha's been stopping over and over and over, wanting that turkey sandwich every time that he came to the Shunammite woman. Over and over. And after many visits, she was like, There's, there, this is a man of God. This isn't just a believer. There, there is something on this man. And when she saw the anointing on him, she didn't use it as a chance to say, hey, can you meet my need? You know what she did? She stepped up how she served him. Verse 10, let's build a small room for him on the roof. Furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he'll have a place to stay whenever he comes by. He didn't, she didn't see the anointing on him and said, hey, I've got a need, mister, man of God. She just said, how can I serve him even more? And so many times when we see what people have, we don't look at it as an opportunity to serve. We just look at it as an opportunity of what we can get. We see people with a lot. And we just, what can we get out of them? Not what can I do for them? Because it's like we put a judgment right on them. Well, they have everything. They don't need me. You have no idea what they need. She sought out to do more. But let me point this out. She didn't just start building the room. She needed the approval from her husband. Can I just say this? Stop doing stuff without the approval from what you're tied to. If the Bible says two become one, don't make halfway decisions. And that includes when you're talking about the town of the house you're tied to. Gosh, you're silent. 
You see, it's one thing to prepare a meal, but it's another level to prepare a room. And sometimes you need the approval and the confirmation from the agreements of what you're covered under to take the time and the resources to build the room. It was one thing to just share a meal, but this was going to alter her entire living space. And she needed the approval from her covering. She needed the agreement from her covering. Because when you're under a covering, the covering could see things that you don't. Everyone needs a covering. If you're tied to this house, you're, you, you have a spiritual covering. You're married, you've got a covering. Everyone's got a covering. And you know what's funny? Is that sometimes rooms get built under your covering, and if you didn't have anything to do with the room getting built, you just complain about the room because you didn't have a chance to be a part of it? Well, why did they do it like that? Well, why don't you shut up about how they did it like that? Because the complaint is mismanaging your town. You, you, you've got a stewardship of everything that's tied to you. And we don't need to talk about, well, why did they do this and why did they do this? Let every word that proceeds from your mouth be edifying to the body. And if you can't edify it, Get out from under the covering and find one that you can edify. But don't defile it. There needs to be agreement, not division. I don't know if y'all. You've got one purpose. Make your town great. This woman got the approval from her husband because she doesn't want Elisha coming in and saying, hey, oh, thank you for the place to stay. Well, my wife built the room for you, but I didn't want to do it. Blah, blah, blah. No, he, she didn't want him to experience that. <laughs> Y'all laughing because you've been there. When Elisha walked into her town, he wanted to make sure that Elisha wanted to come back. How can I serve this man? Meals, preparing rooms. I want the room to be, I want, I want you to walk into agreement. I want you to walk into positivity. I want you to walk into light that has dispelled darkness. By loving a stranger. Galatians 5, 13 through 15 says this. You've been called to live in freedom. My brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Can, can, don't use your freedom to satisfy your nature. If anyone has ever had a question about do you have free will, this scripture should answer it. Yes, you do. The scripture is pleading with you. Please don't prostitute the freedom that Jesus bought by serving yourself. Instead, use it to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, 
I'm going to add the Kyle in here. With what you say about each other, watch out. Beware of destroying each other. Jesus broke every chain. And if you accept that, that means you're free. But you're free to serve your town or your sinful nature. And your town is serving one another in love. So it says, love everybody as yourself. Not some people, not the ones you know, everybody. That's why the leaders were teaching the people how to mark Christians and deceivers. Because if believers came into your town, love them like you love you. And I think sometimes you can find out how much people love themselves by how much they serve or their lack of serving others. And you know, the other side of that, sometimes people love the simple nature of themselves way too much, so they build a cage called pride. Called selfish ambition. This woman is serving, making meals, making a room to stay, a room reserved for Elisha for every time he would ever come through Shunem. Look at verse 11. I hope y'all getting something out of this. One day, Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went up to this upper room to rest. Something about the upper room. See, the upper room didn't start in the New Testament. He said to his servant Gehazi, sometimes I wish the Bible would have names like Jake. (laughs) He said to his servant Gehazi, Tell the woman from Shunem, I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you've shown for us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied. My family takes good care of me. Do you see what just happened? This woman never asked Elisha for a thing. And Elisha finally asked, what can we do for you? But there's even more to this because notice, Elisha didn't ask the woman this the first 10 times she came to her house. Elisha came over and over to get a a meal. Every time he came through Shunem. So much to where she was like, Hey, babe, let's build a room for him. And then he would pass by, staying at the room. And eventually, after many meals, staying in the room, eventually Elisha said, go get that woman. I want to talk to her. I want to see how I can serve her. And there's so many of us that stop the small work that God has given you because it doesn't seem to profit you. Let me read a passage from 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15, verse 56. Sin is the sting that results in death. The law gives sin its power. Isn't that funny? Even sin gets its power from what God established. Soak that in for a second. 
But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so uh, understand what, what he's building. Sin gets its power by the law that God established. And by the same one who established the law, he established the way we have victory over the power that sin got from God's law. Through Jesus. So we know we have victory in Jesus, right? Right? So, brothers and sisters, be strong and be immovable. Always work enthusiastically. It's a six-syllable word that I just made into the perfect number seven. I did it in my mind before church. Don't work like, hey, can you pray? Yeah, I guess. Work enthusiastically. For the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Nothing is ever useless. If you understand that Jesus gives you victory over the power of sin, it says be strong and immovable because nothing you do in God is ever useless. It's never worthless, even if it doesn't seem profitable. But sometimes it takes time. And you may not see it profit. You may not see it grow. This woman fed him over and over and over and over and over and then built a room. And he stayed there and stayed there and stayed there. And not one time did Elisha say, can I sweep your floor? I imagine at some point someone would have said, I mean, a thanks would be nice, Elisha. But she didn't like... You know, after 45 visits go, I just don't think I'm called to do this anymore because I'm not seeing any growth from it. She kept on doing it because she was called to love the stranger. And she kept on and on. That's why it says, work enthusiastically for the Lord. Not for the prophet. Not for the fruit. Not for your need that you're hoping gets met by your service. Work enthusiastically in all you do for God. In other words, God is giving you a clue. He's giving you a key. If you put your mindset that everything you do is like you're serving God, then you'll do the thing that doesn't seem to be working forever, and it might take 20 years, but in year 20, after doing the same thing over and over and over, planting the seed over and over, serving over one day, the thing you're serving is going to say, come over here, I want to talk to you. But so often, we give up way too soon. And you have to ask yourself, did you give up because you didn't see fruit? Because if so, you were working enthusiastically for the fruit. Not for the Lord. I believe God is specifically giving us this message of this is my town because some of us need to start taking ownership in our town in our circle of influences in the gift that you've been given 
And notice it says, what can we do for you? Can we put in a good word? Can we talk to the command of the army? And she said, no, my, my family takes good care of you. See, that would have been an opportune time to ask if she had a motive. But she didn't have a motive. She just served. And they took notice. People should know you for how you manage and how you serve your town more than the needs that you have. If I know more about what you need versus what you serve with, there's an issue. And that seems to be a common issue in the church. It's really easy to know every congregant's, if you will, need. But when you start saying, well, how can you serve? Well, I don't know. They start backing up. I have a passion to equip you with everything you need to walk into your destiny. And part of that is learning how to serve as if it was God himself. Wherever you are, whatever your town is. Because when you start to serve with a motive, people don't want to take the time to meet your need because they don't want to come back to your town. Isn't that funny that Elisha kept coming back? Look at verse 14. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? Because she wasn't budging. She wasn't letting him know the need. Gehazi replied, well, she doesn't have a son, and her, her husband is an old man. In other words, Gehazi was like, well, she ain't got a kid, and we know that it ain't going to happen. <laughs> Elisha didn't ask her. Who did he ask? He asked the servant who took notice of her life and the needs in her life. Because, you see, in the days of Elisha, there was a very harsh stigma towards women who were barren and not able to have kids. She was wealthy. She had no material needs. But she had this stigma about her. When she walked through town, it was, she, there was that stigma. There was that, oh, she can't produce. She, she's worthless. Even though she was wealthy, there was just that stigma. And it's funny because she wasn't waiting to finally have a child in order to be ready to serve. She, she didn't wait for the whispers of her barrenness to disappear. You know what moved her? This is my town, and I'm serving God despite that I have something or I don't have something. I, I have a need that I need God to meet. She didn't wait for the need to get met. She said, I, I'm serving God in my town. Despite what they say about me, despite what I, I wish I had, I'm serving God. And how many times do we let stigmas and situations hinder how you manage your town? When the truth is, when you start to manage your town, your willing heart will be in agreement with God. And that's going to make room through the stigma and through the situations. She was willing to do whatever she needed to do to represent God in her town. And when this random traveler came through, she said, well, I don't have what I want, but I have what he needs. 
And she just started serving, preparing the meals, preparing the room. She was doing whatever she could to show, I am going to represent God in my town. So much to where Elisha and the servant, they recognize that in the woman. She ain't going to tell us, so let's just look at what she needs. And the servant knew she needs a child. So look at what Elisha said in verse 15. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When, when the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, next year at this time, you'll be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried. Man of God, don't you deceive me and get my hopes up like that. Elisha spoke right into her need. But not from his word, it was from God's word. Because here's the twist. While she was serving the man in her town, Elisha was listening to God and ready to serve in whatever town God brought him to. And see, that's the point of the story. Her needs got met because she served for all she knew a no one who happened to love the same God that she loved. And she had no idea that her need was locked up in a man that she made a meal for, prepared a room for. And that's a word for some of you because some of you go from town to town and you're waiting for people to serve you. All the while you need to realize, even if it's not your town, you can bless those in that town. You see, Elisha was listening to God, and at that moment, God revealed a need, and he wanted to meet that through the willing hand for a wealthy woman that had no material need. She was so humble to the point where she was like, no, 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 don't, don't get my hopes up. Why? She didn't need a blessing for Elisha to be qualified for her to serve him. She just wanted to serve him. And I've heard so many things over the years. I don't get paid to do that. It's someone else's turn to serve. I don't, I don't know if I have a heart for that kind of ministry. You, have no, you do not realize how much of your need is not being met because you're turning away from an opportunity to turn a key. This woman was very humble and even though she said, no, 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 don't get my hopes up. I don't need anything from you. Her serving made room for a miracle. And the last verse from this, pa this passage tonight that says this in 17, even though she said no, but sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. You see, she was blessed beyond any material need, all because she said, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to serve in my town. Now, with that, there's something that we all need to understand. I'm closing with this verse, Philippians 2.4. It says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I want you to notice something about the woman. She wasn't a poor woman. She was a Wealthy woman. 
we got to be careful that we don't get so caught up in others' needs that you put yours on pause. If you think that God is calling you to serve to a point where your needs aren't getting met, that's an author of confusion in your mind. But also, don't get so caught up in you that you put others' needs on pause. It's called balance. Personally, if I'm going to serve in my town, I want to make sure in whatever I do, it's excellent. I want to make sure you want to come back to my town. If I'm making a meal, but that ain't my gift, so someone else is going to have to do that, I mean, I burn toast. I want to make sure that they want to come back for the meal every time. If I make a room, I want to make sure they come back to the room every single time. And if we're going to make this town great, this house, this city, we've got to start serving to the point where when people come into whatever we've influenced, all they can do is fall out in the presence of God. That when they come to family Thanksgiving tomorrow, it's not just we've got good food. It's there is a level of fellowship in the presence of God that nothing else can touch. It's when you go to your job, the way you serve the employees or the employer or the the people who are coming to buy your product, they want to come back every time. Not just because it's a great product, but because there's something about you that is just different from all the rest. Because you have this mindset that this is, this is my town. And if it's my town, it's God's. And if God's put me here to represent my town, I'm going to represent it to the best of my ability with the culture of heaven. The woman finally had a child. The stigma was gone. The whispers of her barrenness disappeared. And it all started with, that man's hungry. Let me make him a meal. As the people of God, I want to encourage you, as we leave this place tonight, start making sure that your town represents heaven. And when you start doing that, trust me, my God says, I will supply your every need. Amen? Can we stand and give God praise tonight? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this word that you have simply called us to manage and steward the places that you've called us to influence. I'm believing that we're all going to walk out of here tonight with a, a, a different level of awareness. That the way we talk to the waiters and the waitresses at the restaurants, we're going to let them know that you know it's, it's not their restaurant, but that the culture of heaven just walked in. We're going to go home and we're going to tuck our kids into bed a little differently with a prayer, with a blessing.
letting our kids know that I'm just not your mom or dad, but I'm, I'm, I'm letting the culture of heaven come into this room. We're, we're, we're going to go into our work Monday through Friday, and we're going to bring a different culture into it. We're going to but we're going to bring a different culture on social media platforms. We're going to bring a different culture into the people that we submit to and honor. We are going to be a people that say, this is my town and my town is the culture of heaven. My town is God's town. We are going to be a people, God, that are going to steward everything as if it was unto you. Thank you for freeing us so that we could choose you. If you choose him, just say, I choose God. Lord, as we choose you tonight, show us how to steward your town. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen.